0: can have a seat have a seat cj thanks for sharing with us yeah i got you man appreciate Appreciate it It. no absolutely thanks for coming up and sharing a little bit uh hey we have some people who are delivering some sermons we're super excited about that and uh the first person i want to call to the stage uh, her name is gabrielle and i always accidentally call her gabby and she always corrects me and so gabrielle is here and so um why don't you open up your bibles and I'd encourage you to listen, all right? Listen to God's word being preached in this moment in time. Sound good? All right, give it up for Gabrielle.
1: Hi, everyone. Um, this is so exciting. I'm just going to turn to where we're going to be tonight, and then I want to pray. Pulling a CJ here. I can't find where I'm going. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Already, not intentionally. Okay, I just wanna pray first. Um, Dear God, I just thank you for bringing us all together and I just pray that you would speak your words, not mine. Um, And I just thank you for this night and all these lovely people that I get to call family. In your name, amen. All right, we'll just get right into it. Uh, I'm gonna tell a little story. Um, It's slightly embarrassing, but I feel like, I'm hoping that someone else has experienced something like this before. Um, Have you ever mistaken one thing for another thing? Or like trying to plug in your keys or hang up your phone on a key hook? Or maybe a person for another person? Um, It's like, sorry mom. Um, But hey, Gavin, Lauren, Ethan, Kona? Oh, Gabrielle, yes. So it's like, um, it happens sometimes. But um, I have definitely done that as well. Um, Let me set the scene here, Costco? Cement floors. Way too loud, way too many people. Um, I'm in elementary school at the time, and my dad and I are waiting in line at the food court. And I'm kind of looking around. There's a lot of things to see. uh, A lot of people. And as... Who knows? There's a lot to look at. But I'm distracted as the line continues to move forward. And my dad, he's wearing a typical dad outfit. The tan cargo shorts, sandals, gray shirt. So... So the line continues to move forward. I'm looking over here, and I realize I realize that oh yeah, because I got to catch up. So I skip forward, and I hug my dad's leg, not my dad's leg, just that other guy who really liked my dad's outfit and wore the same thing. So (laughs) that was really uncomfortable for me as a kid, but also um, my dad thought it was hilarious, and so did that guy. So I guess it went better than it could have gone, but. um, all that to say, these, happen, these situations happen plenty in our day-to-day life. We get distracted, we're misguided, or we're just blind followers. How does this relate to our relationship with God? If we're not careful, we can find ourselves following people or things that we never intended to follow. Distraction is real. How do we know, um, how do we know we're following the right things? How do we know what to do once we know who to follow? Throughout my time at Citizens, sixth grade until now, I've heard a lot about the desires of the world conflicting with the desires or the instruction of God. Tonight, we're going to look at what the Bible says about that and what we should do in response. We're reading from 1 John, a short letter at the, near the end of the New Testament written by John. 1 John isn't a letter to a specific church. Um, we don't know what its intended, intended audience was, but throughout the book, it's evident that John knew the people he was writing to and that they were under sort of, some sort of threat of false teaching and worldliness like we are today. This passage is short, but contains two commands and a promise. I'll have you all turn to 1 John um, 2, 5 through 17. I read. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Here we can clearly see two opposing sides, the way of the world and the way of God. Before jumping into verse 15, I wanted to focus on the word world. John says it six times in three verses. That must mean something, right? In the Gospel of John, he uses this word 58 times, and in 1 John, which is a tiny book, he uses it 16 times. Why does he do this? It's not, how we, it's not like how I was going to use the example of how we often use the word like. Um, but um, it's not one of those words. It has meaning. It's not a filler word. Um, what does he mean by this? Why does he do this? In Greek, this word translates to cosmos or kosmikos, which means having the character of this present age, this present and corrupt age, or worldly affairs that distract us from the cause of Christ. Our fallen world directly opposes God's kingdom and his desires for our lives. John is showing how earthly desires are the complete opposite of godly desires. We are called to completely reject what the world offers and deliberately move away from sinfulness from sinfulness, as God has called us to follow him. 1 John 2.15, um, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. When I read this passage in the past, I thought, okay, thanks, John, that's a bit much. Um, we should be able to love like some worldly things and still love God. As I mentioned before, worldly desires and striving towards godliness are far from similar. Day and night, light and darkness. You can't actively pursue godliness while holding on to worldly desires and characteristics. This is God calling us to ditch empty desires. Ditch empty desires. This leads us to ask ourselves, what desires we're refusing to let go? Lying, cheating, laziness, cussing, sexual sin, substance abuse, the list goes on. It's really easy to get caught up in these things. We tend to categorize sins into like, slightly bad, bad, and really bad. So as long as we stay over, well, far away from here, then we're good. But we tend to say, God will understand. We're trying our best. But we like to play this game of balancing between the two to get what we want from either side. This doesn't work, um, it really doesn't. We by doing this, you're living in darkness. You're relying on worldliness. These desires distance us from God. But oftentimes, knowing that God, our God, is a forgiving God, we tend to confess our sins and then say, hey, that wasn't too hard, right? Let's do it again. Um, that's counterintuitive. So the thing is, you find yourself unfulfilled. That act of confessing and then doing it again um is really you find yourself living for the wrong reasons you're prioritizing sin over god sin over god wait a minute that can't be right um however we can also prioritize good things over god once a good thing becomes a god thing and takes the number one place in your life you've got a problem um whether it's a sport, clubs, academics, relationships with others, it cannot and will not fill the place of God in your life. But we have been given these things. There's no, no one telling you you can't do anything else except for read your Bible. God gives us these things. Um, we can use our relationships with others, um, like CJ was actually saying earlier about talking about how we can influence others through our kindness and through how we act like Christ, um, we can glorify God through playing a sport. Um, but these things can't become our distractions. Um, in our chaotic and Costco like lives, there's plenty to distract us from our Father. We are here on earth to share the good news and follow Jesus with our whole entire lives, not just on Sunday, not just on Wednesday. We act as though we're in control, but we aren't. Our actions should reflect who we follow our actions should reflect who we follow. We're being called away from living for earthly purposes because we have a greater calling. What sins do you need to confess? What do you need to do to make sure God takes priority in your life? In order to know how to turn away from this way of living, we need to first understand why this is so important in the first place. Let's go back and look at verse 16. Verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is, is from the world." When it says pride of life, that's, that means overly focusing on or caring about your possessions, what you own, whether that's your car, like every high school boy in this room, or your favorite video game, like every middle school boy in this room, or maybe some of the middle school girls, you know, or your favorite outfit, which I mean, that's all of us, right? So, you can't, you can't say that's not true. But um, in this, uh, we often lean into sin because we're searching for something. Acceptance, love, validation. We're going to the wrong places to look for these things. We have a God who knows every part of us intimately and still loves us and wants us. I just want to say that again. We have a God who knows every part of us, all of our sin, everything that's ever happened, and he still loves us, and he still wants us. John calls us to draw near to God. Draw near to God. Why is it important to draw near to him when we're struggling with sin? Our final verse says, and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Well, we could sit here for days talking about the will of God and what that truly means. However, I... I think we can just talk a little about it today. I've been reading a book that was recommended to me countless times called Just Do Something. It's by Kevin D. Young. And by recommended to me, I mean Natalie told me to read it so many times that she said, hey, actually, this is my gift to you for Christmas. Now you're reading it. And so I read it. Here we go. You win. Um, But in this book, the author highlights the difference between God's will of decree and his will of desire. As Christians, we believe that God is sovereign, um, in control, and that he has a plan for our lives. And as a senior, I hear this, and I'm like, whew, because without that, I don't know what I would be doing. But also, um, in this this book, he actually quotes the passage that we're going over tonight, um, the author, and um, this is what he says. He says, The will of God in this passage does not refer to the way that God ordains things but the way that God commands us to live. Walking in the will of God for the Apostle John is the opposite of worldliness. Doing the will of God means we say no to the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and our pride and possessions. But it can't stop there. It can't stop with knowing that God holds our future. Uh, We need to be actively living for him. Why is God worth living for over worldliness? This last verse hits right on that. Let me read it again. And the the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. The earth and what it has to offer is temporary. It's unfulfilling. Putting our hope in God has eternal significance. It matters forever. God is worth loving above all else because all else fades. We need to place God at the center and our perspective changes and our desires change. Yes, it's still incredibly difficult, but we're striving to follow God's commands and to be more like him. When we're sinning, we don't want to draw near to God um, because we're hiding. We're ashamed. We're embarrassed. Or maybe we're just living in this sort of indifference of as long as we don't talk about it, we're good. Um, No. God well, we need to first stop listening to lies about who God is. That he won't want us after what we've done, that he doesn't love us anymore. He died to save us. Romans 5.8 says, but God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us even in our sin, and is calling us to love him and to follow him. We need to earnestly pray, God, I need you, and I need you to help me. I want to ditch my empty desires, but I can't do it without you. This isn't something God is commanding us to do and leaving us to do it by ourselves. That's not really His style. Um, but tonight, here as a senior on my last Wednesday, as a student at Citizens, which is so weird to say. I knew I like when I wrote this that I'd be saying it, but it's crazy. Um, I just want to urge you. I want to urge you to look at whatever is taking the place of God at number one in your life and decide that God is more important than that thing. And if, whether that starts out with a prayer or if you need to talk to somebody about it and have them pray with you, um, we are in a community. Um, that's what this whole thing's about. So um, taking that first step is great. Um, here at Citizens, um, like I said, we are a community of students learning to live for Jesus. If you hear me saying that, if that's the first time you've heard it, you're probably your first time here, so welcome. Um, But this is very important to us, and that's why we as students show up, and that's why our leaders show up each and every week. This is what brings us together, and we need to be in this battle against worldliness together, striving towards godliness. This should never be a place where you're treated differently for struggling with sin. Ever. If it becomes that sort of place, then we've got an issue. Because we are all sinners, and if you can stand up and say you aren't, we have news. I'm so sorry. Um, But we are here every week, and we show up every week because of the good news of Jesus Christ. He died to save us from our sin, and he's coming back such good news. Uh, he's coming back to wipe every tear from our eyes and to for us to experience eternal life in his presence. God is worth loving above all else because all else fades. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you again. Um, I just love getting to be here with all of my family, and um, I just thank you for guiding us um, whether we're off to school, staying around here, or We're just getting things started in middle school. But I just, um, I thank you for your guidance, Lord, and for the word that you give us. In your name, amen.
0: Can we give it up for Gabrielle one more time? Let's hear it. You know, Jesus commands all of us uh, to follow him with everything that we are. All right, it's not just part of us, it's not just when we want to follow him. Uh, every uh, part of us, uh, our desires, our future plans, everything uh, belongs to him already. I thought that was really powerful for reminding us of that truth. Uh, what did you like, CJ? That was some powerful stuff right there. I like that it was, she said, it was deliberate. It's deliberate
2: war against sin. Yeah. Like, you're not just, oh, asleep and it's just all fine. Like, you have to fight every single day, it's not going to be easy, we still got to stand up and do it. I also like how she differentiated from. Oh, sports, you can enjoy that, but it can't be on a pedestal above God.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Jesus over everything. All right, we have our second person delivering uh, a sermon tonight. She is no stranger here. Her name is Gracie. Come on up to the stage. Give it up for Gracie.
2: Hey, guys. Okay. Okie dokie. So we're just going to jump right in. Jump right in. Got to hold the mic. Good. Okay, Okay. so take a second and think. Have you ever been a part of a team, a sports team, team working at school, that just like works really well? Like everybody gets along, it's just like, it's very productive, you're all friends, it just, it runs really smoothly. The kind of team or group where you feel like you belong, you have a voice, your opinion matters.
3: And
2: have you ever been a part of a group that maybe doesn't work so well? Maybe there's some drama, maybe it just feels like everybody's working against each other instead of with each other. Um, It can sometimes feel like everybody only cares about themselves instead of each other, let alone the group as a whole and where it goes. Um, But what about when we're talking about the team of the people of God? What about when Christians have conflict or don't get along? Our effectiveness and our reputations as Christians could be on the line. Can this conflict be avoided? So the difference between the group that runs smoothly and the group that doesn't, the key ingredient is humility. So, um, sorry. Okay. Jesus calls us to be humble servants and to put others' needs before our own. Today I'm diving into Philippians 2, 3 through 7. It is a letter written by Paul as he is stuck in prison. He's literally losing everything in prison and he's still writing this letter to us saying this, this is the most important thing to do. Philippians 2, 3 through 7. Oh, if you want to open your Bibles, those are the verses we're doing. Philippians 2, 3 through 7. In humility, count others more important than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So where do we even begin to do that? Treating others like number one. Verse two through three says count others more important than yourselves. Don't just do the good things to make you look humble, but actually do them with a genuine and happy heart. So what does it look like to do that? One thing is serving others. Somebody in my life that has served me and shown me God's love and humility through serving is my dad. On cold winter mornings, a lot of times, he'll get up with me or he'll get up before me and he'll just like go out and he'll start my car. He'll be like, hey, where are your keys? And I throw him, I'm like scrambling, halfway ready, and he just goes out and he turns on my car and he scrapes off my windshield and he thinks of everything. He even like turns on my heated seat, you know, gets it all ready for me. Um, <laughs> and another thing that he'll do is like, when we both get home at the same time, and I have, like, five million bags in my car um, from, like, cheer, track, like, literally so many things throughout the day. He will, even though he has his own bags, he'll offer to take mine, and he'll just put me before himself. And those little signs of humility, um, they've really stuck with me in my life, and they've been a really good example of Jesus and his humility in my life. Verse 4 says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. How much time a day do you think you talk about yourself? Your interests, your opinions, maybe what you did that day. Um, Don't you appreciate when people take the time to genuinely listen to you and what you have to say? It feels good, doesn't it? So we all want to be listened to and heard. So next time you sit down next to somebody in humility, um, Jesus calls us to take an interest in others and genuinely listen to them. Like Noah always says um, to the student leaders at every prayer meeting we have, find something they can't shut up about. Go to the younger kids, go to somebody you don't know, keep talking about them, make the conversation about them, find somebody or find something that they can't shut up about. Um, Jesus calls us to make the active decision to live in humility and show interest in one another. This is hard and it does not come naturally for most of us. Um, did you know, actually, that when somebody is talking to you, our brains are actively trying to think of a response of something to say about us, something to bring the conversation back to us and it's natural and it happens and it's easy to do that. But we have to take that step and um, be humble, just like Jesus was. So, how can we be humble, and why? Treat others like number one, because Jesus made himself number two. So, Jesus made himself number two. Verse five. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Jesus wants us to try to be more like him and think like him, every day, because he created us in his image. Um, But what attitude did he have? Well, Jesus always put others before himself. He He was perfect. He considered others before himself. He genuinely cared, and he listened to others. He didn't boast or tell others about the things that he did. He was always listening to others, and we can learn from that example. Again, this is not easy to do. This is hard, and it takes practice, which is why we have to keep praying and asking Jesus to help us through that. Verse 6 through 7 says, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. We have to realize that the creator of the universe, okay, take a second, the creator of the universe who breathed life through the mountains, the oceans, the forests, he made himself a servant to us and who we are. So who who are we to say we're too good to serve one another or listen to one another or take some time out of our day to, maybe if it's inconvenient, go do something for somebody else uh, if they need it. Um, okay, so this is like a funny little illustration. But imagine Usain Bolt, I'm sure you all know who he is, but if you don't, he's the fastest man in the world. He holds the record for fastest 100 meter sprint and he's seen as a celebrity. His name is pretty well known. Um, So just imagine, he comes to a track meet. Just like he comes to a high school track meet, he's just kind of there, just kind of shows up to help out, to serve others. He's just there, no publicity. No cameras. He's just kind of there to like serve water. And then imagine the fastest guy at your school. Just imagine it. You probably know who he is, because um, he probably talks about it, maybe. And <laughs> just imagine that he just did his race, his 100meter, and he won. He got first. He wins. And he's packing up his stuff, and your coach is just like, "Hey, why don't you go why don't you go help out at the water tent?" you know, like they need some help over there. And he's just like, no, I just won. So I got first. So that's actually for people who didn't get first. So they can actually, they can go over there and they can help when literally the fastest person in the world is helping at the water tent. So all this to say, this silly little story is just to compare how Jesus was created equal with God. However, He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, and he didn't try to make that his reputation. He didn't boast. He didn't make it known to others to put them down. Instead, he made himself a humble servant, and he became one of us. He was literally the son of God, the most powerful, so great beyond our comprehension, yet he died for us. So why do we need to be humble and listen to others? He did all of this. He died on the cross for you. He died for you. So we can be humble for each other. Treat others like number one, because Jesus made himself number two.
4: Give it up for Gracie. Let's go. What would you like from that? I like to gain it was just a reiteration of like
2: deliberate. You got to be deliberate yeah. about, about things that when you're following Christ, it doesn't just come naturally. You're fighting the natural human instincts, like she said, to be humble. You got to be humble, and it's an active thing.
0: Yeah, and I, I love that because like all of us benefit from Christ's humility. Uh, we wouldn't be anything if Jesus hadn't lowered himself uh, to us so that we can hold on to him. And I love that. We get to be um, humble before man because Jesus was humble to us. And that's something that we celebrate here at Citizens. All right, we have one more, one more sermon tonight that I'm very, very excited for. Uh, she has been in our youth ministry for a very, very long time. She has lots of wisdom that I'm excited for her to share. Uh, give it up every single person in the room for Natalie.
3: Hi guys, um, I'm Natalie, hence the introduction. Um, I'm a little shaky and nervous, so just go easy on me, please. (laughs) Yeah, so, thank you. (laughs) So I'm going to start with describing an experience that you probably know full well, or at least I do, um, because I have experienced it, uh, what's likely an embarrassing amount of times. Um, You probably know the feeling. I'm home alone when I get a call from my mom. Uh, I can hear from her tone of voice, to put it nicely, that she's not in the greatest of moods. But that's all I'll say because she's in the room tonight. (laughs) Um, uh, But I'm on the phone with my mom, and she asked me to take the chicken out of the freezer for dinner. Uh, You probably know where I'm going with this. (laughs) Um, I have good intentions to do so, but I decide I just want to watch five more minutes of whatever show I'm watching, and then I will get up to go do it. Um, Suddenly, five minutes turns into an hour or so and I hear the car door slam shut. Uh, the memories of my earlier phone call come flooding back to me. Um, I prioritize doing what I wanted instead of what I should have done, and I'm about to face the consequences. Uh, my hands are sweating, my heart's beating fast. If you know anything about me, you know that I might be new tears. Um, I'm more than nervous, I'm pretty terrified. I'm sitting there trying to calculate the time it will take for me to get to the freezer and then back to the couch so it will look like I've taken it out hours ago. And then compare that time to the amount of time it will take my mom to get to the car to the front door. Um, I'm sprinting, you know, trying desperately to avoid facing my mom and the consequences of my own actions. (laughs) And I don't make it in time. I hear her keys turning in the door, and it's too late. I'm done for. Uh, My life flashes before my eyes. (laughs) But on a, on a serious note, it is scary when we've done something wrong and we are about to face the consequences of that decision. Um, now, imagine that same situation, um, probably more serious than forgetting to take chicken out of the freezer, um, but instead of standing before your parents, you are standing before the one who created you. Um, you're standing um, before God and you've committed a serious offense, sin. Uh, you are same for a perfect God, and you've messed up big time. God gave you rules to follow, and you disobeyed them. What hope is there for you, or for me? What hope is there for us? We need someone greater than us. We need a sinless savior. That means we need Jesus. Um, So we're going to be talking about a passage in the book of Hebrews. If you know me, you know I love Hebrews. Um, But Hebrews is a letter written to Christians by an unknown author, which is actually really pretty cool because the whole book is about how Jesus is greater than everyone, even the author. Um, But it's the word of God. So let's see what God's word says. Um, So let's open our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Uh, This is what the word says. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The hope that we desperately need that we were talking about earlier this passage tells us that that hope is Jesus. So we're going to focus on verse 14 first. I know we just read it. It's important. We're going to reread it. (laughs) So verse 14 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Um, As the first verse tells us, because of who Jesus is, we hold on to our faith. This is what the author is encouraging the readers, you and I, to do, to remain secure in the supreme Savior. Okay, now why is Jesus supreme? The text calls Jesus the great high priest. What does that even mean? Um, We're going to use an analogy to better understand what a priest does. And I really sincerely hope that this doesn't apply to many of you here today. Um, But, you know, just say hypothetically you were to commit a crime. Not endorsing criminal activity, purely hypothetical. Um, but when you're suspected of having committed a crime, you need to go to court where a judge will decide if you're guilty or not. You probably know this from the movies, but when you go to court, you have a lawyer. Um, this person is meant to be a defense between you and the judge. You have done something wrong, the judge is to decide your guilt, and the lawyer is to defend you in the face of the judge, even though you are wrong. In a way, this is similar to what a priest does. Uh, to put it plain and simple, you and I are sinful and God is perfect. Might sound harsh, but it's true. Um, The verse before this one, Hebrews 4.13, says that no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of whom we must give account. How can we approach a perfect God, a perfect judge when we have disobeyed him and he knows all that we have done? Sinful people, you and I, need to be reconciled to God. But how? What hope do we have? Well, when we flip back through our Bibles to the Old Testament, um, we uh, see a high priest with someone who entered into the literal presence of God, nobody else that no other priest could enter. Uh, the people, because of their sin, could not enter the presence of God and were separate from him. But once a year, the high priest would enter and make an animal sacrifice on behalf of his people to God so that they may be forgiven of their sins. Now, this might sound really weird because in our culture, we don't make animal sacrifices, um, so why don't we, and why does it even matter? Because Jesus made the ultimate sacrifice so that we may be forgiven of our sins and saved. Jesus is the great high priest who has passed to the heavens. That's what the text says. Jesus is the ultimate mediator between us and God. He is perfect, and yet he came down into a sinful world so that we may be saved. He is the ultimate high priest who makes the ultimate sacrifice so that we may be forgiven of our sins. I lost my place. Sorry. (laughs) Um, And his sacrifice for us that he made by dying on the cross and defending us is the only way that we can come to God. So Jesus takes the punishment for our sin and declares us innocent in the face of the judge despite our guilt. And because of this, as the text says, we hold fast our confession. We hold on to the truth because he is the only way to God. Citizens, let's remain secure in our supreme savior. So let's see what else the author has to say about this. Um, Verses 15 and 16 say this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Okay, so we know that Jesus is supreme. He is greater than everyone and everything else. And not only that, but he is perfect and he still understands and cares for us, for you and for me. So we can come to him and receive what we need from him. This is what the author is encouraging us to do, to confidently come near to the sympathetic Savior. We see this interesting dynamic in the text of how Jesus is sinless and perfect, yet understanding and caring. It is easy to often think of Jesus as one of these things, at least for me, I don't know about you guys, Um, like he must be perfect or understanding, holy or merciful and gracious, um, that that he can only be one or the other. But he is both. All of these traits coexist perfectly in Jesus. Jesus is the only one who is sinless, and he is the one who continues to grant us mercy and grace. It is crazy to comprehend. Um, The text says that our high priest has been in every respect tempted as we are, yet without sin. Because he is tempted, he understands us. And because he is without sin, we can rely on him time and time again. And because of all of those things, we can draw near to God. We can confidently come near to the sympathetic Savior. I want you to think of a time when you've been struggling with a problem and you just wanted to talk to a friend about it. Um, But as you approach the conversation, you slowly start to realize, like, they've never experienced anything similar to the problem you're experiencing. Um, And they can't relate to it. So, of course, they can still be supportive and encouraging, which is obviously much better than nothing. But there's something missing. There's something special about talking to a friend about a problem that they have also experienced. They can give you advice that nobody else can give you because they've been through it. They can um, empathize with you in a way that nobody else can. They understand you. This is what Jesus does for us. He is perfect, but he was tempted. He knows your struggles. The sins that you are struggling with, the temptations that you're struggling with, Jesus understands them fully. He understands the draw towards sin. And because of that, he shows us grace and mercy. So we, knowing all that this text has told us about Jesus, can approach his throne in confidence. Citizens, confidently come near to the sympathetic Savior. He cares for you. We know that he is supreme. We know that he is sympathetic. And we know that he is sufficient. So we can trust that he will show us grace. So... That brings us to the conclusion that the author is leading us to, that Jesus, our sufficient Savior, bridges our significant separation. Jesus is enough. He is all that we need, and he brings us to God. The separation that is caused by our sin that makes us far from God, Jesus bridges that. Our sufficient Savior bridges our significant separation. So, to those of you in the room who have uh, given their lives to follow Jesus, How do you approach God? Uh, You have been brought back to God. Jesus has bridged the gap between you and God. You have been shown mercy and grace time and time again. So do you remain secure in your Savior? Do you draw near to him in confidence, even when you mess up? Do you trust him? Because he is trustworthy. He is sufficient. And to those of you in the room who have not decided to follow Jesus, or maybe you aren't sure yet, have you approached God? What is holding you back? Jesus is the one who can save you, uh, sympathize with you, show you grace, and bring you back to God. So run to him and remain secure in him. Our sufficient savior bridges our significant separation. So, citizens, um, if I can encourage you one last time before my time as a student here comes to an end, um, I want to encourage you in this. Confidently draw near to Jesus and remain secure in him because he is the only one who can bridge the separation between you and God. Our sufficient Savior bridges our significant separation. Jesus is enough, so trust in him, citizens.
0: Thank you so much for sharing with us appreciate that. That's a powerful truth, right? That's the most important truth. All that we said was important tonight, um, but Jesus, uh, he bridges the gap uh, between God and man. We all have a significant sin problem, and we all uh, can be redeemed and rescued because of the power of Jesus. Amen? Amen. I, uh, I'm blown away by the level of wisdom and intellect and um, understanding that the seniors who delivered tonight's sermon's just what they have, what they have to bring to the table, and um, I wanted to commend a few people before we go into our next part. Uh, I understand you guys have had leaders over the past few years at uh, Citizens. Of course, Courtney is one of them. Um, Of course, uh, Matt Rushing is one of them. Danae Hutchin is one of them, and of course, Sam and Jordan Cassis also poured into you guys for so many years, and we want to appreciate them, and the thanks... And so um, stuff like this, you guys are delivering that wisdom, having that wisdom, uh, it's not just from you, right? You have multiple people pouring into you year after year, and a, a, community, a community of students learning to live for Jesus. That's who we are, and that's what we're invited to be. And so I want to invite the uh, seniors up to the front right now. If this is it for you, right? That sounds so morbid, sorry. Um, if this is the last night, come on right down to the front. We want to send you off. We want to pray for you. And uh, if you're a senior in the room and you're like, dude, this is like my first time, like I'm still, you're still invited to come down, join us. And uh, here, look at me, because I'm talking to you, not, sorry, super awkward. Um, Yes, please turn around, I wanna talk to you, I'm so sorry. I'm gonna read this to you. Um, If you guys know me, which many of you do, I don't usually stick to a script, but I want you to hear every single uh, thing I have to say here before we send you off here. Uh, There's an American missionary, uh, Jim Elliott, he's attributed this quote, and I want you to remember this quote, Uh, Before we pray and before you guys are out, Uh, Jim Elliott says this He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep uh, to gain what he cannot lose. And Jim Elliott would be killed in the jungles of Ecuador in 1956 at the age of 28 while serving as a missionary, truly living out the essence of his own quote. Uh, He was no fool. And he gave up his own life to receive a reward greater than any gold or more days on earth could buy and my plea for you the seniors at citizens the people who are about to leave our ministry and and to do amazing things and to serve god my plea for you in these last moments as your youth pastor be no fool do not be a fool serve god with every ounce of your being uh, every ounce of everything that god has given to you give it back to him whether one day you're a parent a pastor a leader a teacher a missionary a coach an artist a visionary whatever it is that you do give up all that you can whenever you can wherever you go to gain the things that you cannot lose serve christ wholeheartedly with your life because the treasures of this world fade the possessions we hold will crumble but god and his kingdom shall reign forever we must not be foolish collecting seashells and rocks When you could be building an eternal cathedral with God by your side. Don't waste time chasing a number that will eventually disappear or go to someone else. Give your life to the mission of service. Whatever you do, do it for the glory of God and his renown. And if the next few weeks and months and years of this lifelong calling seem stressful or scary or even impossible for you to obtain on your own, you'd be right you'd be absolutely right. Do not do this journey without God's spirit leading you every step of the way and his word ever close to your hearts and in your ears. And as the ancient wisdom inspired from God from Psalms and Proverbs says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight forth your paths. Don't fear, wherever you go, God will be with you. Would you guys stretch out your hands uh, to our seniors here in this room? This isn't anything spiritual. This is just symbolizing us uh, placing our hands upon them. Courtney's going to read or uh, pray for you guys here in this moment, but I wanted to read this passage from Numbers. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. That's something we pray for you.
5: Lord God, we thank you for these seniors and we thank you for the lessons that you have taught them over the years, God, some of these have been here uh, since day one as sixth graders, and some have come within the last year or so, and and God, you have used every moment, um, you have shaped their hearts and their lives, you have built relationships, you have taught them, Lord, and I pray that as they go, Lord, that they would go in your wisdom, God, that they would fear the Lord in all things, God, when the choices they make look different from those around them, may they stand firm in your word and who you have created them to be. Lord, we pray, God, that you would give them the defense of your word against the fiery arrows of the evil one, that when lies come at them, Lord, that your truth would be stronger, that your light would be brighter. Lord, I pray that the enemy would not take their hearts, God, but their hearts would be fully established in you. God, as your word was preached tonight, God, I pray that they would find that all else is empty but you. I pray that they would find that you are sufficient for them in all things, and I pray that they would reflect you in your healing humility and your kindness and in your love for others. God, we thank you, God, that you will do this in them, Lord. We pray, God, that you would keep them, God, that you would hold them, and God, that you would bless them as they go. God, remind them that they are never alone, that they always have home, Lord, and that they are loved dearly by you. God, I pray that as um, we see them in the years to come, may we see leaps and bounds of growth and rejoice with them in the work that you have before them. Lord, we love you. We love them. God, be with us and be with them as they go. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
0: And we're gonna we're gonna do something a little different we haven't done before. Uh, if you're a junior, right, if you're going into your senior year, uh, I'd love for you to come up and join our seniors right now. If you're going into your senior year, all right, come up to the front. Um, I'm going to have Gavin come up, and Gavin has been um, one of our leaders here. He's been in our ministry for many, many years, and um, I'd love for a senior, right, someone who's graduating, to find a current now, new senior, and just put your hand on their shoulder, and uh, we're going to pray for you, uh, because you guys are now leading our ministry, right? This is the proverbial passing of the torch, and um, our ministry looks like what you want it to look like, uh, because you're leading it right? You're in charge of it, right? Your influence over this ministry uh, cannot be understated, and so what do you want citizens to look like in a year? Who do you want to be here who isn't here now? Who do you want to stay here and to be strengthened uh, because of your work, because of the way you're serving God? These are things we want you to think about, and uh, you guys are are our leaders now, and we love you, and we're thankful that you're here, and so Gavin's going to pray over you right now.
4: Father God, I pray that for these juniors that you are bless them with strength and you give them the heart of something that only you could do god i pray that through the burden of leadership that they face that they stand firm and do not shake i pray that throughout this couple of months as the seniors depart and the juniors find their place that you reinforce their strengths you hammer through their weaknesses and you pray that and i pray that they come together and that they become a team a team that can do better than what we've done and really change Northwest Gospel Church. I pray that through you and you alone you can guide them, shape them, mold them, change them into being perfect vessels of your word, to spread the word and to spread the mission that you have given us. God, I pray for these juniors in a year that is going to be one of their most difficult, in a year of turmoil, confusion, And just, I don't know. God, I pray that you stay with them and shine a light on the path that you want them to take. In your name, amen. Amen. Amen.